you for leading us in worship this morning. Something to think about as you hear the words of that song. Mark Lowry wrote so many years ago how that Mary, when she held the Christ child and she kissed his cheek, she was literally kissing the face of God incarnate. Amen. That's pretty awesome to think about. Amen. Genesis chapter 50, I'll call your attention there. If you would turn with me this morning, right in the front of your Bible, very first book of your Bible, the 50th chapter, as we uh, work today to conclude what we have been talking about for several weeks in the life of Joseph. Joseph, chapter 37 is where we started this journey. And chapter 37 with the exception of chapter 38, 39 through 50, are all given a detailed account of the life of this wonderful man of character and integrity that is great blessing to me. And I look forward to sharing with you how the story kind of ends here today. Genesis chapter 50, if you found your place and you're physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word we're going to pick up at verse 15. I just put a few verses there on the front of your uh, worship guide today. But I want to read through the end of this chapter. I believe it helps us to really gain the proper context of what's taking place here after the death of Jacob and then how Joseph responds and reassures his brothers. Notice with me what the Word of God says. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Notice verse 18. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore be not afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And notice the final stanza. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Machar and the son of Manasseh were also brought up on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to the brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'd speak mightily and clearly to our hearts today. 
We pray that the Son of God is glorified through the faithful proclamation of the gospel. And God, may lives be changed as a result of being in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject that I'm calling the goodness of God. You know, I, I love this, this song, and my daughter has sung it. We played it a little bit here at the start of the service the past couple of weeks because it really resonates with my heart of what took place in Joseph's life and how it culminates in this final chapter. Bear with me, if you will, just for a moment as we kind of recount a few things to figure out what got us to where we are in Joseph's life. The 17-year-old boy, he has some dreams. He has some dreams that tell of his future greatness and somewhat of his immaturity. He tells them in some way of a boastful way to his brothers and to his parents. Well, things didn't go so well for him after that. Not only was he ridiculed by his parents, but he was also taken by his brothers and sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites and done away with. They went back to the father with this elaborate story of how they took that coat of many colors and how they dipped it in blood and made it appear as though he had been killed by a wild animal and that his favorite son was no more. But Joseph had a way of finding favor with people. Maybe it been a little bit of his personality, his charisma, I don't know, but we really believe it has more to do with the fact what the scripture says, that the Lord was with him. Amen? The Lord had his hand on him regardless of where he was, so there he was, and he was sold, and he sold again, ended up over at Potiphar's house. At Potiphar's house, he found great favor with Potiphar, Potiphar really liked him, liked his work, liked his attitude, liked everything about him and really put him in charge of everything. Things were going really well for him considering what had happened, but then Potiphar's wife had other ideas. The Bible says she cast longing eyes on Joseph. She liked him. He was handsome in form and appearance, the scripture says. So there she, she cast longing eyes and she sought to seduce him, but Joseph would have no part of it. Because he would have no part of it, she found a way that she would try to make him look bad to her husband who had so much respect for Joseph. Grabbed his cloak as he went away from the house and went to her husband and said, look, you think so much of this guy, look what he's up to. He's trying to seduce me. And all the while she was lying. Well, it cost old Joseph greatly because he didn't compromise his integrity, there he was once again falsely accused by the wife of Potiphar and cast into prison, things looking bad again. While he's in the prison, he encounters two guys, a butler and a baker, and they have a couple of dreams. And they come to him, they said, hey, we understand that you can interpret these dreams. They said, well, let me tell me what happened. He did, and he told the baker, he said, you're going to die. He tells the butler, you're going to be exonerated. You're going to be restored back to your place. But Mr. Baker, you're done. Mr. Butler, you've got a little bit left. Well, the only request he had of the butler was, is when you get back to the Pharaoh's house, don't forget me. Just don't forget about me. Don't forget what's happened here, what you've witnessed. Don't forget me. Well, you know, the story goes, the butler got busy and probably didn't do this on purpose. We have no reason to believe he did. Maybe We don't know, but he was forgotten by the butler. 
Well, later on, Pharaoh has some dreams, and Pharaoh says, look, I'm having these dreams. They're driving me crazy. I don't know what to do. I need somebody to help them. He called on all the wise men, the magicians and the soothsayers and everybody else and said, nobody can help me. Then all of a sudden, the butler's memory is rekindled. Wait, wait a minute. I know a guy. <laughs> Y'all ever know somebody like, I used to know this guy when I was in Georgia. I could say, look, I need a couple of surface-to-air missile launchers for my yard. And this guy would always tell me, hey, I know a guy's got some, you know, everything. And so we called him, I know a guy. So the butler is that guy. He's, wait, I know a guy. And he's, his, his name's Joseph. He's been thrown into prison. He's not even supposed to be there. He didn't do anything wrong. And when me and the baker had these dreams, we went to him and he interpreted them and exactly what he said happened the baker died and I got restored to my place he said we know somebody that can help you so they sent for him here comes Joseph into Pharaoh's house tell me your dreams and he says well you got two dreams but they mean the same thing and here's what your dreams mean you're fixing to have seven years of plenty but after the seven years of plenty there's going to be seven years of famine and it's going to be really bad and here's what you need to do you need to put somebody in charge of making sure in the years of plenty that you're prepared for the years of famine. Amen? And some people say, well, he was advocating himself for the job. Well, maybe maybe not, but the fact of the matter is whether Pharaoh chose Joseph or not, he needed somebody to be in charge of that operation. Well, he did choose Joseph. And I don't believe it was so much Joseph's choosing. I believe once again it was the providence of God operating in his life. And here's what he did. He said, you know what? We'll go about the land. We'll go from place to place. We will fill the barns up. And he had a direct plan. And it worked to perfection. He was made second in charge of all of Egypt. The only person of higher authority than him was the Pharaoh. And in the midst of it all, two years into the famine, here comes his brothers again. Uh, they come to Egypt and they come saying, wait, we're, we're, we're needing to buy some grain. He sees them. He's moved emotionally at the sight of them. And he begins to challenge them and begins to put out a series of tests. And one thing he wanted to see was he wanted to see his little brother Benjamin. Benjamin was only two years old when he was taken away from him. He was a grown man now. He went back and he said, I want you to bring back Benjamin with He says, and I'll tell you something else I want you to do. And when he finally revealed who he was to them, he said, I want to know if my daddy's alive. And if my daddy's alive, I want you to go get him. And I want you to tell him of all my glory down in Egypt. And I want you to bring him here. And you know the story where we ended off last time? They got back up to Jacob's house and said, hey, guess what? <laughs> You won't believe this, but we're a bunch of liars. <laughs> and we made up this whole elaborate tale, and here's the deal. Joseph's still alive, and we, we did wrong, and, but he's alive, and you won't believe where he's at. He's in charge. He's second under Pharaoh. They got plenty down there. They got more than they can sell, more than they can give away. He, he's alive, and he wants you to come down to where he is. The Bible says that when he heard these words that his spirit was revived within him. 
He got a good old dose of the Holy Ghost revival in his heart, didn't he? Amen. It did church good today on the last Sunday of 2021. If we'd just let God speak to us and visit with us that we might be revived within ourselves to continue the work which he has called us to do with greater fervor and greater passion than ever before. He got him up, hauled him down there to Joseph's house. Boy, things were going good. He lived another 17 years. But where we pick up today, Jacob's died. You say, well, that's bad. It is bad. But it brought some things back to these old boys. They knew as long as their daddy was living, they were good because their brother was going to honor their father. He was going to honor what he had asked to do, and they were going to be provided for. But what about now? Well, the Scripture tells us some things begin to change. And when we look at the goodness of God, we're going to continue to look at some things about Joseph, but we're going to wrap up here in the last chapter and see how that God was good even when things were bad. Uh, see, he's lost his daddy here, and he's, I'm sure, mourning and upset. But it provided a distinct problem for his brothers. I want you to notice that. We read just in verse 15 a few minutes ago that when they saw their father was dead, they said, wait a minute, he's been to let us have it now. All this good stuff, all this smiling, all this kindness, all this providing for us, all this taking care of us, it's fixing to be over because the only reason he was doing it was because daddy was here. See, what you understand is it wasn't just because his daddy was there, he was under the authority of a higher authority. Amen? Look what happened here. Jacob's death brought some fear to Joseph's brothers, but... In the midst of all that, they said, hey, we need somebody to go remind him what daddy said. Amen? We need some messengers to go to him and remind him that he was asked by our father to forgive us and show kindness to us. Those messengers showed up, and when they did, there was another great outpouring of emotion in Joseph's life. Several times in Joseph's reconnection with his brothers, he was emotional, the scripture records that. But the Bible said right there in verse 17 that he wept. He wept, why? Because he wept when he was reminded of what his father said. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a child of God today, let me ask you this. When you are reminded of the good things that God has said in his word and the promises that are given to us in scripture, when you're reminded of them through a sermon or a song or through the word of a brother and sister who loves you or through just simply reading the pages of God's word, does it ever strike the chords of emotion in your heart and remind you just how good he's been? Even in the times of distinct trouble, these boys were worried to death that their days were numbered, they were over, but regardless of what had happened in the past, the father had spoken, they were reminded of what he had asked, and J Joseph was going to honor what Jacob had said. There was a distinct problem, but I want you to notice the second thing with me. It was also a dependable provider. You see, in verse 18, he begins to relieve some fears. Said so the brothers fell down again and said, we're your servants. They'd done that before, hadn't they? You remember when they came the first time, when Joseph recognized them as they were coming from, uh, from, from Canaan to buy 
grain in Egypt, it was Joseph who saw them bowing. And what was this? This was a fulfillment of the dream he had in Genesis 37. It was a fulfillment of the dream that he had that he told them the interpretation that made them mad that caused him to get sold into slavery to start with. There they are coming to be servants. But he relieved their fears. He relieved their fears and I want you to notice how he did this. He looked and he said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? Do you know one thing Joseph always understood? He understood where he stood. He understood his place and he understood the authority of God over every area of his life. You know, we studied the Kingdom Agenda here a while back and I recommend every Christian read the book, The Kingdom Agenda of Tony Evans. Here's what he says. He says, the Kingdom Agenda is the comprehensive rule of God over every area of your life. And if you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you must submit to the comprehensive rule of God over every area of your life. That means your church life. That means your social life, which really you can't separate the two. There are people like, well, you know, I do this at church, but I do this when I'm not at church. That is so sad because as a child of God, you ought to be who you are, wherever you are, regardless of who you're around or what your circumstances might be. Amen? No, no, the comprehensive rule of God over your life means your work life, means your family life. It means everything. That means everything in your life is under the authority of a holy, sovereign God. That's what he was saying. He said, I'm not God, but I know who he is. I serve him. He said, look here, you don't need to be afraid because I'm not in the place of God. But he did say this. He said, but it's for you. Let's just go ahead and get the record straight. You meant evil against me. Let's just go ahead and be honest. He said, brothers, there is no debate that you meant evil against me. There's next two words. Somebody tell me what the next two words are. But God. Amen. Wait a minute. We just inserted the sovereign ruler of the universe into the equation. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I know a lot of you are saying, wait a minute. I've been through some bad circumstances and tough times and you say, preacher, I've had some people speak and do evil against me. How in the world can you convince me that God could ever make something good out of that? Just hold on. It's like, oh, what's his name on the info infobursal? There's more. Just hold on, okay? Listen. He said, you meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Do you know what he knew? He recognized what the providence of God is. Now, let me talk about providence for a minute. Now, I'm not talking about the church out yonder on the side of the road, Providence Church. I'm talking about the real providence of God. The word providence comes from two Latin words, pro and video, which means to see before. That means that God sees before you see. Amen? He sees before I see. That means that he has the video of what's coming down the pipe long before you even realize it. Wow. 
He recognized something about the providence of God. He recognized that the providence of God benefited many, many people because of his own suffering. Do you know what he was saying? He was saying that many will be fed, many will be taken care of, many lives will be saved and changed simply because of what happened in my suffering. I read this this week and I thought it was really good. And Tony Evans says it. He says there's a word that we need to erase from our vocabulary. He said it's a word that does not belong in our, in our vocabulary if it's used in a serious way because it clouds the perspective of our life. He said we need to erase the word luck away from our vocabulary. You ever met somebody? Good luck. I'm not a believer in luck, but I'm a real believer in the blessings of God. You know, we should start saying like this, good blessings, amen. Yeah, we do, blessings on you, man. We pray God's blessing on you. Why? Because I want you to know you need God's blessing more than you need luck. He said we also need to erase some of luck's sibling words from our vocabulary. Words like chance, fate, or happenstance. See, we use this word too loosely. Luck is a concept that says the events in your life are random happenings that affect one's life, fortune, or fate. It has been turned into an inanimate force to bring benefit or harm. We have given luck authority in our lives. Wow. Here's what he said. He says, you cannot have a sovereign God and luck at the same time. <laughs> now let me ask you, what are you going to trust? Luck? Maybe see, maybe not, I don't know. Or are you going to trust a sovereign God who spoke this world into existence? Are you going to trust a sovereign God that reached down in the dirt and got a scoop of dirt and made a man and breathed life into him and he became a living soul. I'll just tell you right now, I'd rather have a sovereign God than luck anytime. Wow. You know what he said? Many have been rescued because of my suffering. Now, I want you to think about it. What about yours? What about the difficulties you've experienced and what about how people have witnessed how you handled the difficulty? What if we would have read in Scripture, Joseph's brothers sold him and he whined and whimpered and complained and blamed God from now to eternity. Oh no, Potiphar's wife lied on old Joseph and he just blamed everybody for him being in prison. No, that's not what we read. We read that the Bible says that wherever he was, the hand of God was on him. And that's what kept him going. You know what else he did? He said, not only have many been rescued, not have, have many benefited from my suffering. He said, I'll tell you what else. I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to provide for your families from now on. Now, I don't know about you, but put yourself in these brothers' shoes for a minute. Just pretend like you're Reuben or Judah for a minute. Daddy dies, you're like, we're done. He's fixing to chop us all up. He 
says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not God in the first place. And I'm going to honor what God wants. I'm going to honor what our daddy asks. And you know what? Not only are you going to be safe and fed, but I'm going to take care of your wives, your children, and all your generations. I don't know about y'all, but I think we'd be time to maybe strike up a little dance. Amen? Oh, look here. They was excited. I can imagine. But here's what he was saying. He's saying, you don't have to worry about anything. Because of what's taking place in my life, God has prepared me to take care of you in your life. Wow. Reminds me of the story of David. Well, I love this as much as any story in the Bible, how David heard that Saul and Jonathan were dead. He said, is there anybody left? Do they have any descendants left that might benefit from my kingship that I might be able to go show them the kindness of God you know what they said there's this one old crippled boy Woo! hey hey this one old crippled boy he's Jonathan's son and he lives in a place called Lodabar Say, where in the world is that? Kind of sounds like Arbacoochee, don't it? Amen. He says, no. The name Lodabar means a place with no pasture. You know what it basically meant? He was in a hopeless situation when he was a little boy and they were fleeing and the nursemaid dropped him, broke his leg and he was crippled from that point forward. He had been crippled for the rest of his life. He had no way to feed himself, no way to defend himself and he was in a place of no pasture. And David says, oh, no, he might be in Lodabar today but I'm going to get him out of there. You know, David, he's from somewhere in North Alabama because he said, and Scripture calls it clear, he says, I want you to go fetch him. <laughs> Amen. They sent down there to God old Mephibosheth. And I'm sure when they came up to his place and said, King wants to see. No, 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 he didn't get excited. No, he was fearful because he knew he was the last descendant of Saul and he knew how his granddaddy treated David and he knew even though him and his, his daddy Jonathan and David were close as brothers could be, he, he said, you know what? He said, my granddaddy, look here, I believe this is it. He's calling me up there to kill me. But he went on anyhow because he'd been summoned by a king. Can I tell you today, you're being summoned by a king. If you've been crippled by the fall into sin today, I want you to know you're being summoned by the king. And here's what the king's saying. I want you to come to my house. I need to talk to you. He goes up and the Bible said that when Mephibosheth went before David, he cast himself and said, how can you even look on such a dead dog as I am? He said, Mephibosheth, get up. Because you don't live out there in Lodabar anymore. You live here in my house. You didn't have a way to feed yourself over there, but I want you to look at this table I got here at my house. You didn't have a way to defend yourself, but look at the armies I've got to protect you. He said, you know what, son? You went from out there in the pit, but today you're in the penthouse. 
You're over here with the king and you won't have to worry about anything else. I will provide for you all the days of your life. That's the same thing Joseph was saying to his brothers. Regardless of what's taking place, regardless of how Saul treated David, David showed the kindness of God to his grandson and regardless of how Joseph's brothers treated him, he showed them the kindness of God based on what God did and his daddy told him to do. Let me say to you today, what are you going to do with how good God has been to you so that you can have others benefit from the goodness of God in your life that they might see the goodness of God in theirs. God is good, amen. He promised to provide and he came through, but there's another thing I want to share with you. Not only was there a distinct problem, uh uh-oh, daddy's dead, he's going to kill us. Not only did Joseph prove to be a dependable provider regardless of what they had done, But the goodness of God also reminds us of a definite promise. I read verses 22 through 26 for you because I didn't want you to miss it. Joseph died. Ripe old age of 110. I was young in them days, right? But I mean, 110 is a pretty good swing. 110 years old far removed from being the 17-year-old boy, far removed from all the troubles and trials, the Bible said that he died. But I want you to know, before he died, he did some important things. Friend, hear me. There is a 100% chance that you're going to die. The latest statistics are out. One out of every one people born die. Right? Y'all remember when I was a kid, they used to have this commercial for dentine or trident. Four out of five dentists surveyed that this chewing gum is good for your kid's teeth. Did y'all ever wonder about the fifth one? <laughs> What's wrong with him? I mean, four out of five is an 80%. You know, that's a B. I'm like, you know, that sounds but four out of five, what about the other guy? Was he just being hard to deal with? Now, we always throw out these things, but the one statistic you never need to get around is one out of every one people born and die. Even as good and godly and blessed as Joseph was, he still had an appointment with death. Here's what he did. But between the time that he became second in charge under Pharaoh, he made a distinct difference in the world he never would have made had he not went through the painful difficulties of his past. When I look over my life in ministry, I think about what God is doing today, and I think about how I would never have been prepared, nor would I appreciate the goodness of God today had I not experienced some difficult days in the past. I bet you'd say the same about your life. But during those days, here's what he did. He set his heart to influence in the future generations. Wait a minute, he saw his grandchildren, and from one of his sons, his great-grandchildren. I just want to say to you today, I hope someday that the Lord would bless me with that benefit of being a grandfather because I want to tell you something. Grandfathers have the greatest opportunity to influence your children. They will always like you more than they like their daddy. (laughs) Somebody with me? Amen? 
And you know, the grandfather will always like his grandchildren more than he did his children. It's just unbelievable. But he did not take the responsibility of influencing those grandchildren lightly. He influenced them and he influenced the future generations that would come behind him. And then he told them this. He told his descendants something. He gave them a promise. He said, let me tell you what's going to happen. God's going to visit you in the future. I'm not going to be here to see it. But God's going to visit you and here's what he's going to do. He's going to take you to a land of promise. He's already promised it to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is going to take you to that place. But when he comes, don't you leave my bones down here in Egypt. Anybody get that? Anybody get a little fired up when you read that? He said, look here, there's coming a day when you are going to be able to go to a place that he has promised you. There's coming a day when you're going to inherit the promise that has been around for the ages. But when you do, don't you leave my bones in Egypt. Wow. That 70 people, as I told you, became over 2 million people 450 years later when they claimed their inheritance of Canaan. What would have happened if Joseph had not maintained his integrity, walked with God, and influenced the generations that followed him? But you know, when I read that about how he said, don't you leave my bones in Egypt, I start thinking about a promise we got. I start thinking about a promise that he's given to the church. I start thinking about the promise of God that he's not going to leave us here either. <laughs> Amen. I start thinking about the promise that he's coming for his church. And I start thinking about what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where he said in verse 16 that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Hey, look, not just anybody, but the Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout to call us to meet him in the air. Oh, you know what? These old physical bones, they're going to stay behind. But that spiritual body and that glorified body is going to be reunited in the presence of God and that's where we'll be and we will never be separated from him forevermore. We will claim an inheritance that we did not purchase nor deserve. It is one that has been given to us for what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary when he bled and died for the sins of the entire world. God is good. All these old bones might stay behind. This old boy is going to be with Jesus, amen? Not going to be here. And notice verse 26, and I'm done. Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him. He's put in a coffin in Egypt. You know what those words really speak to us about? They speak to us about the respect that the people had for Joseph. They gave him a proper burial. Why? Because he was a man of godly character. He was a man of unparalleled integrity. And the people respected him for who he was. 
they had witnessed the goodness of God in his life. So here's my question for you today. Who is seeing the goodness of God being demonstrated in your life? What about when your days are done? What will be written about and what words will be spoken of your character and your integrity. Because, friend, hear me. All this other stuff really doesn't matter that much. What matters is what you have done with Jesus Christ and how you have demonstrated a life transformed by the Spirit of God to a lost world. Look here. And who you influence that comes behind. Last year at this time, my family was still the fabulous four. Now we have grown into the super six. And I use the word super lightly in some of those members. But anyhow, no, I'm kidding, but hear me. Y'all don't believe this? But there, Lord willing, there'll be a day we'll be the magnificent seven we'll be the elite eight and we'll be the notorious nine and beyond. I, I really, really believe that. I don't know what God's going to do, but I'll tell you what I'm planning to do and what I'm going to do. I set my heart to influencing my girls because I didn't know who I could get in the boat, but I knew I was getting them in the boat with me. You know, Noah didn't influence a lot of people, <laughs> but them sons and them daughter-in-laws they was part of the eight. Amen? So I'm setting my heart to continue to influence my daughters, influence my sons-in-law, and I got that right. Not son-in-laws, sons-in-law. I got it right. Amen? Look here. And whatever God does beyond that, I'm setting my heart to influencing those closest to me. Let me say that. Then beyond there, I'm setting my heart to influence the family of faith that God has so graciously allowed me to be a part of right here in Heflin, Alabama. And wherever God takes that influence beyond there is up to him. But I'm going to set my heart to influence in those in my home and those in my home church. Amen? And then beyond there, whatever God does, it's all glory to him. But I pray that you will do the same and that your life and mine will be a living demonstration of the goodness of God. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for the privilege you give me to be here today. And I want to thank you for the the word of God that so burns deeply in my soul. And I want to thank you for the calling and the privilege I have to stand here today before God and his people. Father, I pray today that as we come to the close of this year, we will look and say, God's been good. And we will look and see that our trials are all a part 
of you molding us into who you want us to be so that others could benefit from our difficulties. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you speak to hearts. I pray you change lives. And I pray that the Son of God would be glorified here today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to stand with me. Marty's going to lead us. And this little song just simply says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. Whatever decision you need to make, boy, it'd be a great Sunday. If you've never been born again, it'd be a great day to get born again today. It'd be a great day to start a new year with a new life. But whatever decisions you need to make, I pray you'd honor God as Marty leads us. You lead us when you're ready, Marty. Let's sing this all with all of our heart like this is a real dedication of our heart for the end of this year and the beginning of a new year. Marty, leave when you're ready.
Jesus a hand of praise this morning. Amen. 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 Thank you. You can be seated. While you're being seated, our ushers will come. I promise not to get caught up and forget this week. Amen. <laughs> Y'all are mighty kind and gracious. I want to say this too. Miss Clara, they're going to tell you I was picking on you at the Christmas Eve service, but me and you know I would never do such a thing as that. I never do that. So if anybody tells Clara that, well, we'll, we'll just deal with that later. Oh, no, I'm kidding. No, we love y'all. So good to see you. Boy, I'm just thankful to God for y'all. Before we take this offering today, I just want to say to you again, I hope that I can articulate my, my thanks and my gratefulness for your kindness to us. Uh, you know, if we, if we live to May, we'll make it to six years. And I really believe that this year coming, I know if you listen to the news and stuff, you can get fearful. And I'm not telling you to stick your head in the sand. But I, I'm telling you be aware, be vigilant, and all those things. But always keep your eyes on Jesus. If there's one thing I've really tried to do during this whole thing since March of 2020, is actually, you know, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's do what we have to do. And let's pray that we can continue as we're going and see God do some great things. I believe God's going to expand our missions reach this year. I believe God is going to give us a bigger net to put in the water to get souls to the kingdom. Because we're fishing for men, right? And we're not fishing with a bait and a hook. We got the net. We want them all to come to Jesus. Amen? So do remember that. Thank you for your kindness to our family. Like I said, it's once again a, a different kind of Christmas this year for us for many reasons. But, you know, I'll, just like I said last week, the reason we keep going is because like Tony Evans says, I believe what I preach. I believe it. And I believe in who I'm preaching about. And I believe he's faithful. And I thank God for every one of you you matter to God. You matter to me. You know we love you. There's nothing you can do about it. And as we give today, just know you're giving to be a part of something that hell itself can't stop, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, you never give to the church. I used to work for this guy that used to say, well, I can't make a preacher late. It cost me more in tithes this week. You know, it made no sense. It's not biblical. You don't give to the church, you give through the church. You don't give to gain favor with God. You give out of obedience and dependence on God because it's what his word teaches us to do. And you get the opportunity to see God touch lives and hearts right here and around the world. And I'm just grateful to be able to give today and to, and to just trust God that he's going to put these fish and loaves in his hand. He's going to multiply it. He's going to fill our barns up and we're going to have greater opportunities to touch the world than we ever thought possible. So let's join our hearts together and let's ask God's blessings on this giving.
reminder on the way out today that there's no service Wednesday night. I want you to enjoy this week. Try to take in as much as you can. If you have some time off, uh, get your heart and mind rested ready for the coming year. If you're having to work, just know that we are praying for you and just uh, trust that wherever you are, you know your own mission with God. And we look forward to next Sunday. We're back to our regular schedule. It'll be January 2nd, uh, 9 a.m. for Sunday school, 10 o'clock for worship. I really want to encourage you in the coming year. Really find, you know, whether you're using our uh, Thomas Nelson devotionals or whatever materials you're using, sink your soul in the Word of God. You get in the Word of God, the God of the Word to get in you. Amen? It'll change everything about you, make you more like Jesus. And that's my heart for all of you. And never forget, church, that I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen? Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. I'll catch you on the way. I want you to have a great, great day.